Heavenly Father, we pray that you work in our hearts this morning, that what is heard will be, number one, remembered, not necessarily the sermon, but the Scripture. We pray that the Scriptures will be remembered, Lord. And we also pray that by your Spirit, you will convict us of your Word today, but also throughout the week, that you will hide it in our heart and use it to guide us and to mold us and to make us proper representatives of you in the places where you have put us. Thank you for the miracle of your word, and may we use it to glorify you and to make disciples, starting with ourselves and our own need to grow. And we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So for my wife and I as new parents, something that I have learned is I never knew how exciting things like eating smashed bananas could be in the life of our little baby, Anna. Everything is new. The things that we take for granted, like sitting up or crawling or being able to say the most basic sounds and words or paying attention to things or eating smashed food, when she does it, it's the, biggest, it's the most impressive thing we've ever seen. We're just amazed and we're so excited. And it's interesting how as parents, we have put so much effort into the development of our little girl. We'll read the books, we'll read the blogs, we'll follow the Instagram accounts, all talking and teaching and helping us exactly how we can help Anna grow physically from one month to two months to six months to a year, how we can do everything we can and focus on her physical growth. It's a big deal for us right now, as I'm sure it has been, as I know it has been for you as parents, as you've raised up your children, your grandchildren. And the reason why I bring this up is because as much as we put focus on how to raise people up and give them physical growth, we often overlook or do not put the same amount of focus on raising people in their spiritual growth. In fact, even for ourselves, when we think of spiritual growth and what that means and what that looks like, most of us would not really know how to answer that. To grow spiritually, we would assume, means, well, perhaps learning more information about the Bible. Or perhaps not doing quite as much sin as maybe we did previously. And when we think of our kids and what does it mean for them to grow spiritually, we hope that they're saved and we hope that they grow up to be conservative and that they basically do the things that Scripture wants, but really knowing as parents how to guide their spiritual growth, let alone our own spiritual growth, is something that we don't talk about enough. We need more books and blogs and Instagram accounts focusing on that. Actually, we need to be looking more at the Word of God to see what it has to say about spiritual growth, which is exactly what we're going to do this morning in Colossians. So I ask you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, where Paul, in writing to the Colossians, he's going to address specifically what he wants them to know in order for them to grow spiritually. So turn with me to Colossians 
And as you turn there, I'm going to put a slide on the screen that I know you've seen before. I've put this up a few times. This is an outline of the first chapter. Even though we're technically in chapter 2 now, really the ideas that Paul is dealing with in the first section of his letter really ends today in verse 5 of chapter 2. It's probably why in your English translation of the Bible, you probably don't have any heading at the top of chapter 2, but you probably do have a heading over verse 6 because we recognize that what Paul is writing and the way that he's writing it, he's really ending his first section of his letter here in chapter 2, verse 5. And as he gets ready to next week dive into what's going to be the main teaching of his letter, he's going to end this very long introduction by summing up everything that he's written so far in talking about specifically how he wants the Colossians to spiritually grow, what they need to know, what they need to look to in order to grow spiritually. And by him telling the Colossians that, it will also be a model for us as the church here in Graham, Washington. So what we're going to do, we're actually going to work backwards. We're going to start in verse 5 and work through verse 4 and then verse 3 and then end with our big idea. And the reason for that is because there is context to what is happening with the Colossians that we have to know in order to properly understand the big idea. And that's going to be how we work through our points this morning. So I want us to start out in Colossians chapter 2, and I want us to actually look at verse 5 and see what Paul has to say in verse 5. He says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. The first point that we need to know is that Paul was not writing to the Colossians because they were spiritually struggling. That's not why Colossians was written. You see here in verse 5 that the Colossians, in fact, are doing very well. They're firm in their faith. Paul describes that their church is in good order. This is unique compared to other letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. Galatia, for example, the letter to the Galatians, is famous for being a problem-solving letter, a letter that Paul wrote to a church that was being led astray by false teachers, in that case, a group known as the Judaizers, Jewish people who are trying to tell Greek Christians that in order to grow as a Christian, they had to become a good Jew. And that's why Paul, in his letter, was addressing that weakness, those problems in the church. He says, who has bewitched you? You who began in the Spirit, you're now walking in the flesh. Most of you know that 1 Corinthians is a famous letter dealing with church problems. This isn't so in Colossae. Paul is writing his letter to the Colossians, not because they are spiritually struggling, but because he wants them to spiritually grow. Their faith is firm and their order is good. So what's the point here? The point is that no matter how mature or strong in the faith you may be, that does not excuse the need for you to grow spiritually. Every single one of us 
No matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how much we know, no matter how much we pray or read our Bible or serve in the local church, we all have an equal need to continue to spiritually grow. And you might say, well, I've gone to church my whole life. I've been a Christian for decades. I know all the answers to the hard theological questions. I've raised my children in the Lord. I disciple people here at the church. What else is there to do? Everything. Continually. Christ is infinitely good, and we are called to be like him. And if Christ is infinitely good, then that means that we have infinitely missed the mark. No matter how much we spiritually grow, this side of glory. Like what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 11, he's not looking behind, he's always looking ahead. He's always looking forward to how he can spiritually grow. So there is no one in this room, including me, including the elders, the pastors, who is excused from the need to spiritually grow, even if our faith is firm and our order is good. Never think that spiritual growth is not something that applies to you. Your goal as a Christian should always be spiritual growth. It's not something that you have the luxury of deciding of whether or not you're interested in it. Spiritual growth is something that you're called to. And starting in verse 5 shows us that everything that Paul's going to say in the previous two verses is under the context of him writing to a church that is already spiritually healthy. So let's now go to the second point and let's look at verse 4. Paul says in verse 4, he's going to a little bit give us a little bit more information here of what he's trying to get across. He's going to give us the purpose for why he's going to say what he's going to say. He says in verse 4, I say this, and we're going to have to define what this is by the time we get to our third point. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The second point for your notes this morning, and what we need to know about Paul and spiritual growth in his letter to the Colossians, is that Paul, he didn't write to them because they were spiritually struggling, but he did write to them to prevent them from being deceived. Which is another sobering reminder for us, is it not? That your faith can be firm. You can be, in the eyes of the world, spiritually mature. Yet that does not mean that you are not susceptible to the danger of still being led astray by worldly arguments that sound good. We live in a world where everyone can have a platform. Anyone can have a podcast. Anyone can have a social media following. You don't need to have credentials. You don't need to be peer-reviewed. You can say whatever you want to say, and if it sounds good, people will like it and retweet it and share it and follow it, and follow you. Realize that you live in a digital society where more than any other time in history, you are being surrounded by plausible arguments, as Paul describes it, more so than any other time in history. This is what Paul means when he says plausible arguments. In your translation, it might say something like lofty speech, He's referring here to the art art of rhetoric. 
For the Greco-Romans, it was important to them not just the evidence or the truthfulness of an idea, but equally and even more so, one's ability to communicate that idea in a beautiful and compelling way. That's where the idea of rhetoric came. We looked at these Greek and Roman philosophers who they focused not on the truthfulness of a thing, but on their ability to communicate it beautifully. In fact, there would be times where an argument would be admittedly false, yet the philosopher would be praised for his ability to make something false sound so true. That was something that they valued in that society. And this idea of plausible arguments, it was very common for philosophers to go from city to city in the Roman Empire and share and try to win people over to a new ideology, a new form of Greek philosophy, maybe something like Stoicism, Epicureanism, different viewpoints that people could join And the goal of these ideas was almost always basically the same. This is important. That when they would try to communicate these ideas with rhetoric and beautiful speech, the hook that they were trying to use to convince people to follow them was the idea that if you join my idea, if you join my philosophy, they would say, if you join my religion, you will access hidden wisdom. In our culture today, that's something that we don't really understand, like hidden wisdom, hidden, hidden knowledge. What's so special about that? Well, it's because you have Wikipedia. Every single one of you right now could open up your phone and Google Epicureanism and know exactly what I'm talking about, or any other word that I mentioned this morning. You have instant access to knowledge. So the idea that information or knowledge and wisdom could be hidden That's a foreign concept to you, but it wasn't to people 2,000 years ago. There was always this desire to access hidden, or the word that was used was actually mysterious wisdom, information that was exclusive, secretive, and the only way to know it was to enter into some kind of ideology. That's what we see happening here with Paul, and it's also why a few verses ago, Paul literally calls Jesus the mystery, because he's getting at something here that is leading us up to our point here in point number two, is that Paul was afraid of these people being deceived. Let's look at some few quick examples of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul admits this. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. This is what he's referring to in that verse. He's not just talking about wisdom abstractly. He's talking about the very known thing that people in the Roman Empire, they desired to find secret knowledge and wisdom. That's what he's referring to. But Jewish people also, they desired wisdom. It wasn't something that was just for Greeks. The book of Proverbs, famously in multiple places, talks about the desire of God's people to find wisdom to seek wisdom. So much so, a couple of months ago, we talked about how people would even personify the Messiah, the Jews would in the Old Testament, to wisdom itself. Because they associated religion and the value of religion with finding new information, 
gaining new insight. Again, that's hard for us to appreciate and understand, and it's because we live in a digital information age, but it was such a big deal to our ancient uh, ancestors. It mattered to them. And it's for this very reason that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, he makes the point by saying uh, that he did not come, or in chapter 2, verse 1, that he did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. He uses that same word as he does in Colossians. Repeatedly, you can see a couple of the other examples there. Paul likes to make a point that when he shares the gospel, he's not doing it like the Greek rhetorics. He's not doing it like the philosophers. He's not trying to use uh, sweet-sounding speech to try to bolster the validity of his belief because, of course, the validity of, of his belief is in Jesus. It's in Christ himself. And so too for us today, even though we may not be a society that is looking for secret knowledge or secret wisdom, I will say this, we are a society that is completely enamored and addicted to the idea of self-betterment. Self-help books, YouTube channels, Instagram followings, all with ways that you can become a better self how to max out your mental health, how to max out your physical health, how to do everything better, how to work on yourself. Those things can be good and healthy in context, in a proper God-centered context, but it shows how addicted and how enamored our culture is. Maybe not with hidden wisdom, but the secrets and the tips and the tricks and the tools to become a better you. I would say that's a very apt parallel of understanding what these people back then were thinking through and what was valuable to them. But all of this leads up to our third point. Because if Paul starts out, or really he's ending, but if in our sermon we're starting out by acknowledging that the Colossians are already spiritually mature, yet Paul is worried by them becoming deceived or drifting to plausible ideas that are uh, surrounding them, and if we're talking about spiritual growth, we have to look at, well, what does Paul want them to look to? If he doesn't want them to be led astray by lofty speech, if he already believes that they're spiritually mature, then why is he writing? What does he want them to know? And what he wants them to know is found in verse 3, where Paul says this. Paul says that in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When Paul says, in whom, look at the word that happens right before in whom. At the end of the previous verse, it's Christ that Paul is talking about. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that brings us to our third point, which is that Paul points to Christ as the means of spiritual growth. Every single one of us, we need to grow spiritually. Every single one of us, we fall under the risk of being led astray by worldly arguments and ideas that sound good. Our goal as Christians, our job as Christians, is to continually see Christ as the source of all good things in our life, both for our spiritual growth and for our life here on earth, it is all culminating in Christ himself. 
And really, this is a summary, this is a conclusion to everything that Paul's written about up to this point. If we were to summarize all of Colossians 1 with a single word, that word would be Christ. Look at how many times even Paul uses the the words in whom to refer to Christ. Look at verse 14 in Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 16, 19, 22. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 16 says, For by him, really in him, all things were created. Verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 22, In his body of flesh, by his death, it says that he reconciled us. The point of everything that Paul is writing about salvation, about spiritual growth, everything he wants the Colossians to know, despite their spiritual maturity, is Christ. And that's our big idea for this morning. That the way that we stay strong in Christ, or the way that we grow in Christ, is by continually seeking Christ. I think sometimes we think that Christ or Jesus is the equivalent of mashed bananas for a Christian. That it was something that was helpful for the beginning of our salvation. It was something that was important in order for us to become a Christian, but that he is no longer helpful or important or relevant for the rest of our spiritual journey. In fact, one of the most common tells of a false religion or any kind of false teaching in any so-called Christian denomination is always an attack on Christ. Always. They'll always go after, well, is Jesus really God? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is Jesus really this? Is Jesus really that? All false religions always attack Jesus first. Whether it's Hinduism, uh, Islam, even modern Judaism, it always goes back to the person of Jesus because Jesus, in verse 3, is described as the storehouse or the treasure chest of all wisdom and knowledge. All these mysteries that these Greek uh, rhetorics, these philosophs are saying can be found in their ideology, Paul is saying can be found in Christ. That Christ is that treasure chest in which all things are found. All self-help, all betterment, all growth, all joy, all peace, all understanding is found in the same person from which salvation was found. And that person is Jesus. Therefore, we shouldn't just see Jesus Christ as a helpful kindergarten teacher to start out our spiritual journey before moving on to other people and other ideas. We must follow and trust in Jesus the same way today and tomorrow that we did at the beginning of our salvation. That what was true of Jesus when we first became saved is still true today, and we must continue to seek it and depend on it. Let's close with a couple of practicals. How do we actually do this? Sermons like this make me nervous because when I say like, oh, Christ is the most important thing, I mean, that's the kind of thing that you just kind of expect to hear at church. Like, okay, a sermon says Christ is the most important thing. What does that mean? And what does that look like in our life? This is what it looks like in your life for Christ to truly be the source and the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. This is what it means to continually see Christ. The first is this. There's no slide for this, but these are just application points. The Bible wants us to see the Bible as the revelation of Christ. 
They want us to understand Christ in the word synonymously as the same thing. They're not the same thing in essence, but the word of God is the revelation of Christ. John chapter 1 verse 1 is the most famous example of this, where Jesus is literally called the word. But also in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 3, we see that in many times and in many ways, it writes, God spoke to us through the prophets. But now it says he has spoken to us. It doesn't say by the apostles, not by the New Testament. It says now he has spoken to us by his son. It relates the gospel. It relates the New Testament, the word of God, to the person of Jesus Christ himself. On the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus says that all of the law and the prophets spoke concerning him. So if Jesus is the storehouse of all hidden wisdom, if Jesus is the source of all spiritual growth that we need to turn to, we cannot do that without turning to his word. Don't say that, well, I seek Christ in my own way. You can only seek Christ in his way, and his way is through his word. You can't do it by listening to podcasts. You can't do it just by listening to live streams. You can't do it by walking out on the mountains and thinking about Jesus. If you want to actually rely and seek Christ for your spiritual growth, it must be in his word. If you're not seeking his word, you're not seeking Christ in your life right now. And the second way is this, the second application point, and we'll end with this, which is that the gospel is what you need to live by every single day. Think about what the gospel is. I'm a sinner, and God has shown grace to me that I need to depend on by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. That's what you should be doing today. That's what you should do tomorrow. That's what you should do Tuesday. It's not just a one-time event. Even though you're saved once for all, it's not that that dependence by faith on God's grace is something that you're not called to do continually as a Christian. It is. By seeking Christ, that means that we are constantly reminding ourselves in confession and meditation, like Pastor Jay shared, that we're still sinners and we need God's grace. And that God has shown us grace by sending his son Jesus to live a righteous life in our place and to die in our place. And now he sent the spirit of Christ to indwell our hearts so that today and tomorrow and every day, as long as we are here on earth, we must recognize our sinfulness God's graciousness shown in the person of his son that we should depend on by faith. That's how you grow spiritually. So let's do it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do pray. Lord, we hope that you look down on us and you could say the same thing about us that Paul said about the Colossians. We hope that you could say that, Graham Emanuel, you are firm in your faith and in good order. Thank you for the many, many ways over many, many years that you have conformed and sanctified us in that way. But Lord, may we also remind ourselves that each and every one of us individually, we need to grow spiritually, including myself, that we need to depend depend on your son Jesus by faith and to seek him in your word, Lord. May you make us do that. May you convict us and remind us of the need to depend on you your son Jesus, in the gospel and in his word every day of our lives. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.